Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Unlimited. Today, we are talking about the courage to change, and this is very near and dear to my heart for a variety of reasons. One being, of course, that it is the core of the work that I do (laughs) and how I help people, which is usually they come to me wanting some sort of change in their life and maybe not necessarily knowing what it is or maybe knowing what it is but not how to access it or maybe some sort of combination of both or maybe you think you know and then turns out you don't as we start to access it and it's something different and all that fun stuff. So (laughs) being able to access choices, lean into change, and create that in yourself and also in the way that you move in the world is the root of the work that I do. And it is really the root of the work that I've done throughout my entire life, though most of that time has been focused on myself personally. Obviously, I've always had an interest in the impact externally as well, given that I majored in sociology. (laughs) So there is that. The Courage to Change is also the title of a book that is a Al-Anon daily reader that I read a lot. (laughs) You should see it. It's it's worn, it's dog-eared, it's all that fun stuff. And it really is about being able to lean into doing life differently especially for those of us who grew up with certain patterns in our family dynamics that were not exactly the healthiest, usually due to some sort of addiction in the home, but often rooted in some sort of codependent dynamic. And I would say even deeper than that, a, well, I hesitate to say spiritual deficiency, but it's a disconnection, let's say. I I think that word is better in this context. Uh, It's a disconnection. So some of what we're going to talk about today relates to that and some of my own observations and relationships to that. And as always, I would love to hear your thoughts. This is a very big topic and it's very personal. And so while I'm sharing some thoughts and ideas, I love to hear from you and what comes up for you as you listen, what your experiences have been, you are welcome to send me an email or contact me on social media and let me know. I do have a form also that is an anonymous form if you wanted to reach out, but you don't want your identity to be known. That is totally a-okay. I absolutely respect that and still want you to feel like you can reach out and share if you have something that you would like me to know, to factor in, to talk about, or anything like that, please feel free to utilize that. It will be in the show notes, so take a look there if you're interested. What we are looking at today, more specifically, is why we have rules, because yes, we're still essentially talking about rules that relate both to ourselves but to the world around us the value of those quote-unquote negative emotions, toxic individualism and codependency, reframing internalized rules, and giving space for grief and celebration. I have been sitting with a lot of weight given the recent political dynamics and the threat to Roe versus Wade and all of the ripple effect repercussions of that that I hear a lot of people I care deeply about expressing as well as people I don't know expressing and how all of those things are rooted in spaces that we really 
very much need change in. As a believer that change starts inside and then supports us taking action outside, this episode has a lot of meaning for me. So (laughs) I am excited to dive in. So without further ado, let's get started. Hey there, I'm Valerie Friedlander, Certified Life Business Alignment Coach, and this is Unlimited. This podcast bridges the individual and the societal, scientific and spiritual, positive and negative, nerdy and no, there's just a lot of nerdy. (laughs) Come on board and let's unlock a life that's as badass as you are. I talked a little bit the last episode about assumptions and rules and why we have them and how they relate to our life. I'm not going to spend too much time on this this time, but I do want to remind that part of why we have rules, both uh, our own rules as well as societal rules, is that it creates a certain amount of safety and security for us. We know what's going to happen. We know what to expect. When we know what to expect, we aren't going to be caught off guard. We're not going to be caught by surprise. And we know what's right, what's wrong, and we can act accordingly. And this is one of those spaces, because this is such a powerful influence in our lives, that we will freeze up when we don't know what the right decision is, or if there is a potential danger of there being a wrong decision. Because, you know, if we don't know what the right decision is, well, we might choose the wrong decision. And this happens even when we know better. Like, you know, there is no wrong decision. But then you're like, well, but I want to make sure I choose the best decision. And as soon as there's the best decision that fits into this binary of there being a best, if there is a best, there has to be a worst or a least best. (laughs) So if that exists, if there is a least best, we don't want to choose the least best, we want to choose the best best. When that happens, it can freeze us up. And this is related to those ideas that there is a right or a wrong thing to do versus there being just a choice, and then another choice, and then another choice. And you can learn from each choice and allow that to expand your awareness and expand what you do and how you engage and what works and what doesn't. We are not really supported in cultivating that kind of thinking. It's called growth mindset. And there's a whole book about mindset by Carol Estwicky, who wrote about the idea of fixed and growth mindset. The The problem with the fixed and growth mindset is that it fits into the binary. So then we end up, well, I don't want to be fixed mindset. I want to be growth mindset. And because it's not actually about what you call it. It's about the experience of it and the process of it. We will often slide back into the norms that we have of how we function, where there is a right and a wrong way to do things. And therefore... We shut down that curiosity and that choice, that access to choice. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the idea of choices in a minute because I think it's really important that we explore what does it mean to make choices or what about when we don't have a choice and what do we do then? That 
thinking also ties into the idea of rules. So again, the the value of rules is that they create this container for us. They simplify our decision-making. You don't have to sift through as much and figure out like all the risk assessments and all of the, how is this person going to respond? And will that create a backlash for me that I don't want? And so I would do this, even though that's not the ideal or those sorts of ways we think. I would talk about it as like my, I think that you think that I think, and therefore I'm going to do this thing based on that, which might be totally erroneous because I just made it up in my own head. The way you get out of that, as I mentioned in the last episode, is by asking questions. But we are not, again, taught to ask questions. The danger of rules is that it can create a rigidity where we don't have the assessment of what is working and what's not. We just kind of go with what we always do because that's the right way to do it, because that's what is emphasized as good. And again, this is something that is internal, and it's also external, societal. What are we afraid of when it comes to that? Generally, there's there's some layer of fear that is imposed when we think of rules if they are subconscious rules, at least, versus intentionally placed rules, which one might call boundaries, (laughs) to support what you want to create and that are frequently engaged and assessed to see if they are working as intended or if maybe the intention has changed and new rules are needed or whatever. So the fear of shame, of disappointment, and especially of rejection. We actually are more attached to belonging. It's one of our basic needs. So rejection biologically is is dangerous to be rejected or tossed out of the community would have meant a death sentence at one time in humanity. And well, frankly, it still it still does sometimes. That need to follow the rules and fit in is very powerful. Almost, I I think it's actually even more powerful than the need for food and shelter and water. I can't cite the exact study on that, but I believe I heard that recently. So it's really important. That is why we will naturally follow the rules and is much harder to change them. When we think of societal rules and the ones that we've internalized, we've internalized them through constant programming, things that we've taken in from media, things that we've taken in from family, and I mean, all around us. And so those cultural norms, which create the rules that we function in, we see through this lens of society's judgment, society's potential rejection of us. And even when we intellectually understand, and I see this time and time again, when people are doing self-development work, even when you consciously know and you can spot it, it is so hard not to just do the thing because we're not equipped with the tools to create a change. So while we may have access the ability to see that there is a problem, that something doesn't fit, the harder it is to shift it, especially the closer that you are to the idea or the ideal of society. So the closer that you are to it, the harder it is to resist that pull towards the possibility of what we are fed. I think of the movie Don't Look Up, 
where you may have noticed the person who gets sucked into trying to function in the system to get people to see that there's an asteroid coming is the one who is most accepted in the system, the one who is given most access in the system to the perks of the system, as it were. He's the one who thinks, oh, if I go along with this and if I do these things, it'll all be okay. And unfortunately, it isn't (laughs) because it's not okay. The rules don't work. The process, the foundation is designed to keep things the way it is and to keep people from looking up. One of the things I've heard frequently in the rooms of 12-step groups is that my own best thinking got me here, which means that my own best thinking isn't going to help me. I need other ways of thinking. And that first step of acknowledging that the way I think and what I come up with in my own head because I am too close to the problem isn't going to help create the change that I need in my life to stop harming other people and stop harming myself. As a white cis het woman in a marriage with a man and two biological children and all of the things that put me very close to the system and the mirage, the mythology of our systems, I acknowledge that my own thinking is part of what got us here. And it's why, as someone committed to supporting change, with this platform especially, but also in the work that I do, it is so important that I am always putting energy and attention to listening, to learning, to hearing beyond my own thinking. So not just working on my own mindset, but also hearing more expansive perspectives than the one that I have being so close to the privileges of the society's conventions. As Mia Birdsong in her book, How We Show Up, talked about it, she identifies that when we're thinking about how we show up and interact with one another and engage as communities, the most expansive thinkers and the most expansive livers, and I quote, are the people who experience the most adversity and oppression. They're the ones who have always been at the forefront of progress in America. Poor, queer, black, unhoused women and gender nonconforming operate outside of convention because convention has rejected us. People do not survive racism, xenophobia, gender discrimination, and poverty without developing skills, systems, and practices of support. In doing so, they carve a path for all of us. That's a paraphrase, some of it's a quote. I will have the link to the book in my show notes. I am in love with this book. (laughs) It is speaking so beautifully to a lot of these dynamics of calling out spaces where we need to shift our idea of community and the rules that we function in when it comes to our society. It also is just an amazingly written book. <laughs> so I it, it, it calls very much to me, especially when we talk about these ideas of toxic individualism and codependency and how much 
we block ourselves because of these rules, because of the rigidity that we develop in order to achieve this ideal, what often is referred to in this book and in general, like the American dream, this mythology around the American dream of the self-made man, you know, and uh, the, you know, the cowboy, the do it yourself, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and you don't need anybody because you're tough and you're strong and you work hard and you can create this success by being self-sufficient and industrious and success equals accumulation because that's the way it works in capitalism. All the things, you get all the things, not just things, but also all of the, the symbols of success, like being married, usually for the man, it's to a woman, having biological children, all of these things that identify you as having achieved and to become successful. And the problem, I mean, well, there are a lot of problems, but (laughs) these rules of how we function create a disconnection. We are disconnected from ourselves in this space because we aren't listening. We're following the rules. We don't hear ourselves and what we actually need. We just follow the rules. We are disconnected from each other because, well, for one, if you're disconnected from yourself, you can't really be connected to another person because that's just not a thing that can happen. Like you have to, you have to have a self-connection to connect with another person, at least truly connect. And this is actually one of the reasons why I personally think that we have such an issue with addiction and codependency and all of these relationally toxic dynamics is because we are disconnected. We don't hear ourselves. We have these very rigid rules for success. And again, when I say we, I'm speaking mostly for the people who are closest to this mirage of success, this fed idea of the way we're supposed to be to be successful in this society. And as someone who fits very closely to that, it's certainly something that has affected me. And I talk about this in my own story about following all the rules. I did all the right things. I went to college. I met a wonderful man, thankfully, (laughs) because I did some self-work and was able to show up to a relationship. But I still had rules that then led me to get a corporate job and climb the ladder and do all of the right things and then buy the house and have the two kids and all of this stuff. And then I looked at it and once I achieved all of that, right, like once I'd accumulated all of the things that I am supposed to accumulate by following the rules, I was not happy. I will say a caveat to that is that I don't, at this point in my life, think that happiness is the goal. I think that really it's a, it's not about happiness, though, I mean, happiness is great and all, but it's about a purposefulness. It's about a, again, it's about a connection. I felt disconnected. I didn't feel like I knew my purpose anymore. Now that I had done the things, the rules were still there, but I didn't feel aligned to them. I didn't feel like they fed me. I felt like I was constantly fighting myself and fighting the people around me, not like literally, but like it was it was a struggle. 
And I think about that now, I reflect on that now, and it really is those those unconscious, those not intentionally chosen rules that when we follow them, give us that sense of security of we know what the right thing is, we know what the next thing is, but is it really true? Is it really us? We have to have courage to step outside of those rules, to do something different, to be able to connect with ourselves and risk other people's judgment. And again, the closer we are to the norms of society, the upheld right way of being in the world, the easier it is for us to fit into that and be accepted in that, the harder it is to step away from that because of all the privilege that it delivers. But the more necessary it is because of the harm that it also delivers to other people in a very tangible way, but also to ourselves in a less tangible way in what I'm describing of that experience of of being stifled. And again, I just, I want to be very clear. I am not equating the two kinds of harm. They are not the same at all. I also think that it is important to recognize that these structures, these external internalized rules of society are harmful to all of us. They block us from being in relation to ourselves and in relation to other people. So taking some time to reframe these ideas, to allow ourselves to have courage, to do something different, to allow ourselves the space to vision differently, to take in new information, to learn and to act in ways that may be new to us and uncomfortable to us, to activate that growth mindset. And I say this with a great deal of acknowledgement, this is not meant to be done on one's own. This is something that we need community for because it will necessarily create a stress to do something different. That's why we say you need courage because you are going to do something hard. You are going to do something different in any area of your life where maybe you've been trying to fit yourself into the rules or have even found quote unquote success within those rules. To take that space, we need each other. We need the support of other people to be able to do that. And this can be hard because part of toxic individualism, this sense that we have to do everything on our own, goes hand in hand with codependency where we overgive and we resist asking for help. Or when we do, it's because we gave and we have this expectation that if I do this for you, then you're going to do this for me. And we place all of these things on top of those relationships. And it's very hard to weed through them because so many of them are internal to us. You can start with stories. You can start with the stories, as I mentioned in the last episode, the stories that you tell about yourself. I'll give you an example of one that's very counter to some of the norms that we find relating to addiction and poverty. I was working with a woman who had done a lot of work around addictions in her life. And 
And previous to doing that work, when she was in the thick of it, she had financial issues, which is very common. Most people struggle with finances in that space. And she could not pay her credit cards off. And so she ran away from them. She used cash. She didn't use her cards. And for seven years, she was able to then it just went away. Now, from this experience, she had a story that was, I am unable to support myself financially because I'm irresponsible with money. Aspects of that had truth in them because of where she was in her life at that time. And also, what I heard when she was sharing this is that she's actually extremely responsible with money. She saw that she could not handle the debt that she was in, and she came up with a solution for herself to be able to care for her needs in a way that was different than the norms. Going back to Mia's statement about those who are experiencing the most adversity and oppression in our society are the ones who have to get creative, who have to think outside the box more. It's it's necessary to survive in this society. And I heard that that's what she did. She got creative. She found a way to make it work so that she could be okay and eventually get to the place where she was when we were working together, which is amazing. (laughs) And yet this story plays that she's not responsible with money. No, she's not responsible conventionally, but unconventionally, it sounded like she was being extremely responsible. And she's like, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way. Taking a moment to look at the rules and question them. How do they fit? What is the story that you're telling about yourself? It might be possible to reframe it if you take it out of the context of the shoulds that we've internalized of the way you're supposed to do things. Take it out of the shaming. Take it out of the rejection. Take it out of all of that and take a look at it. This is difficult because it also insists that we re-examine who we think we are as we re-examine the world around us. As you detach or adjust your view on the rules and connect with yourself, there can be a lot of guilt and shame and hurt and grief that goes along with that because it requires redefining who you are and releasing who you thought you were or what you thought was true. As we see the world around us differently and start to recognize things within it that don't fit, that don't fit us, that are harmful to ourselves, to others, to our future, it necessitates doing something different. And again, that takes courage. So the courage to change starts with the courage to explore and to look at things through a different lens, to be willing to walk through the anger, the hurt of those changes. I recently came across a quote by Alokvad Menon that says, we must have the courage to break our own hearts. It's time to suspend our stories and compose new ones. I believe I am and what is are two of the most beautiful love poems ever written. It's time for us to be here in the present, not be stuck in the past. Pursuing love is painful because it requires us to interrogate everything we've been taught everything we thought we knew about ourselves. We have to have the courage to break our own hearts. What we thought was love wasn't. Who we thought we were isn't. What we thought kept us safe didn't. 
We must outgrow the stories that we have about ourselves. And to do that, we have to say goodbye to what no longer serves us, even the things that we once cherished. I believe that there is deep value in those quote-unquote negative emotions, those places that we keep trying to hide from because we need to be able to embrace them and walk through them. Emotions aren't positive or negative. They are energy in motion moving through us, helping us change, helping us evolve. They're the digestive fluid that breaks down the caterpillar and allows it to reform into a butterfly. And while that might sound gross (laughs) and very unappealing, and anyone who's walked through that process of evolution in their own lives knows it doesn't feel very good, it is necessary. It is so necessary because what we're evolving isn't just ourselves. It's evolving our relationship with others. It's evolving our interactions with the world. And it is so very necessary. I mentioned as we get towards the end of this episode that I was going to come back to that idea of choice and in change. And one of the other sections from the book, How We Show Up by Mia Birdsong, she talks about part of our work is evaluating the cost of a choice instead of just abdicating our agency. So all those spaces where you feel like, Well, there isn't a choice. Like, I have to go to work. I can't say no when they ask me to work overtime or when I'm not getting paid sufficient to what I'm doing. But I can't be without this income. So I can't just piss my boss off and say no or threaten that income. She says, not having income isn't an option for most of us. So it doesn't seem like much of a choice. But it's important to recognize that it is, not because it gives you the power to change the situation you're in, but because it means you're clear about not wanting to be in it and to make a plan to achieve a future in which your situation is different. That is the power in recognizing choice, not because you're necessarily going to do something different. Allow that anger to happen. Allow that sorrow to happen. Allow yourself to be in those spaces of discomfort. And notice if you're trying to make it okay to tolerate it just to keep the status quo, or if you're doing that so that you can give yourself the space to be able to look for options to make changes. So often we are encouraged to mask our pain and our anger and just get okay again. Getting okay when it means maintaining what isn't okay is not okay. Getting okay so that you have the ability to see choice and take stair steps towards what that change needs to look like in your life because it's not okay, that's what we all need to strive for. Because right now we're all living in a lot of destructiveness and we need to change. So we need to have that courage. So give yourself permission to not change immediately, but still see that change is necessary and look for those places to take those stair steps or look for those people to support you in identifying the stair steps that you can take so that you can create the change that you are longing for. Notice the places of pain so that you can lean in to what it's about and why it's there and do something with it, even if it's not immediate. 
Give yourself the space for grief in this process. All change involves some sort of grief. As Alok talks about, grief is a natural part of the process, even when it's something that you might call good, that you want. There's always still grief in that process. And there's also celebration. So often I'm working with people and we talk about stuff and they're like, oh my gosh, I've come so far. And it's like, yeah, I didn't notice that. Yeah, let's take a minute to notice that. Let's take a minute to notice that and celebrate that because what that does is it affirms our ability to keep going and to do more that is aligned and outside of the rules that we may have learned. I will have a link to all of these amazing books in the show notes. I highly encourage checking them out, following these creators, these authors. I am very excited to have tickets to go see Alok perform here in Chicago. So that is a joy. And find those places. Find those places. Again, we need each other. Find those places of joy and to connect with other people as you do this work because it's not meant to be done alone. If you want support, reach out. That is what I'm here for. I am happy. I would love to be one of those supports for you. I do have scholarship options, so don't let financial burden get in the way of you reaching out. We will figure it out, whether it's through me or someone else or a resource or whatever. I want you to have the support you need to lean into the change that your heart longs for. So reach out, let's connect, and I will talk to you all next time. Thanks for listening. I so appreciate you being here. If you got something out of today's episode, please share it. Leave me a review, take a screenshot and post it on social with a shout out to me. Send it to a friend or, you know, all of the above. Want to hang out more? Join me on Instagram. Or better yet, get on my mailing list to make sure you don't miss out on anything. And remember, your possibilities are as unlimited as you are. Allow yourself to shine, my friend. The world needs your light. See you next time.